Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Cracks Podcast, the podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm the head of podcasting here at Cracked. I'm also known as Schmitty the Clam. I'm also known as Schmitty the Champ. And I am also, also getting you straight into this week's topic. It is great movies and TV that were almost disasters. One more time, that is great movies and TV that were almost disasters because it turns out almost every massive global hit movie and TV show went through enormous close calls in their first step in the ideas stage of making that thing you love. Uh, and I think it's fascinating knowing about them. Uh, it's it's both like a creative journey, you know, like how they got from, uh, you know, a really strange, often monkey-driven idea uh, to where we are today. Not that there's anything wrong with monkey-based entertainment, but you know what I mean. It's all about the ideas. And today, speaking of ideas, I'm joined by two amazing returning guests who are full of super, super solid ideas. One is cracked columnist and editor, New Yorker contributor, and more, Dan Hopper. The other is sketch comedian, TV writer, and so much more, Candace Martellero. And you're going to love this episode. By the way, I could not be more thankful uh, to all of you who came out to our live episodes on the road just a few days ago in Chicago and in St. Paul, Minnesota. To be honest, I am taping this little bit before we did that. So I'll have more to say about it on future episodes. Also, I have a lot to say about it on my social media already. So you can see it there. Uh, But either way, I'm very excited right now about this episode today. It's tons of fun movie things, TV things, and journeys into how weird the past was. It's a good time. So let's have that good time. Please sit back or sit in your most creative posture for inventing ways that, uh, you know, the darkest idea in the world could become a Disney movie because it's happened a lot. Either way, enjoy this episode of the Cracked Podcast with Dan Hopper and Candace Martellero. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. <laughs> we should start every show just with some, just ha, 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 some fade, ah. some fade in laughter. <laughs> I think Dan Candace, I think we're really going to use that. That felt great, and uh, and I'm so excited to talk about all these movies and TV shows. And it, it makes me feel like every show or movie I've ever seen almost fell apart until like the last moment, like they were about to film an insane script and then rewrote it very rapidly. Yeah, it certainly makes you feel better if you've only been in like high school plays and crap and you're just like, you know, <laughs> you're like, this is a total disaster until like the night before and then it's like fine and it just comes together. It's like, oh, that happened if, in mine too. Yeah, yeah. It's just every play that's ever been made. <laughs> but then you see this and you're just like, oh, like every Hollywood movie with a million people working on it and big budget and everything was the same way. So we're all just winging it, people. I feel like anyone that gets into the entertainment industry learns very quickly everything, no matter how brilliant it is, it's all by the seat of our pants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's all just fallen into place of like, I guess that works. It kind of reminds me... Um, in film school, when you would have a, you'd make a short film and it would screen and you'd have to sit in front of the class and everyone would give you notes and people uh-huh. would always project and be like, you were doing this really deep thing with the water in that shot. And it's something that would happen completely by accident. And you'd lean into it and be like, <laughs> yes, yes, I was. <laughs> and I feel like this is kind of the same thing of like, it seems so brilliant, but really it's all it just getting really, together. <laughs> really cool how the, the boom was visible in four shots. <laughs> yes. It's like, yeah, that was, I don't know. It's kind of like. The world is a is a film, and yeah. 
I think you just start using French words at that point to like, oh yeah, verite, you know? Yeah, uh, mise en scène. Yeah. Croque yeah. uh, <laughs> <Croak> madame. <laughs> uh, you both know more French than I do. That's great. <laughs> I've been to brunch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want to brag, uh, Alex. Uh, <laughs> I've eaten a ham sandwich. And you know I'm jealous about it. <laughs> well, uh, and in, in terms of, especially by the seat of the pants, uh, we, one we were looking at here is Rocky, the original Rocky, 1976, uh, which it turns out Stallone wrote the first draft of in three days. And Danny thought there was a really crazy way he was going to go with it. The original ending of Rocky, apparently, was that he throws the fight at the end. <laughs> and it's because he, I guess he has an epiphany where he realizes he doesn't want that life and, you know, he doesn't want to be a big boxer with lots of attention and whatever and wants yeah. to just go back to live with Adrian and his little suburban Philly life beating up people for his loan shark. It's like, like his quaint loan, his quaint loan sharking life. He's like, this is my true calling. Like it's a funny, uh, funny, like epiphany, but yeah. So he was going to throw the fight at the end and then does the Adrian thing and that's it. And that's the end of Rocky forever. And then it turns out he's like, well, what if I like try as hard as I can and it's a split decision and then there's 47 sequels and they all made a billion dollars. So right, right. <laughs> that was a really lucky uh, last <laughs> second switch, which is really funny, too, because it's I mean, the idea of Rocky spawning a franchise is kind of funny when you go back and think the yeah. original movie is such a like small film. It's like, you know, a lot of it takes place in one night. It's like about Polly is like really abusive to Adrian and Rocky has this terrible life and he has one shot at this one nice thing. And and then it's like, okay, here's eight big budget sequels, basically. <laughs> like, it's, it's almost like if, like, Call Me By Your Name had, like, five sequels or something like that. <laughs> and, like, after the first one, then it was just, like, these five, like, blockbuster movies or something. It's, it's like, it's a very weird thing in retrospect. The sequels would be increasingly emotionally risky love, you know? Yeah. Like that's that's <laughs> very fun franchising to me. It's fun. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Mr. T is in one, and then there's a, and he's in love with a Russian guy, and it's, like, he's, like, indestructible, and, yeah. Because yeah. I saw the original Rocky again a few years ago, and, and it uh, it's, like... Like the boxing just kind of happens at the end. Like it's a lot. It, like you say, it's a lot of just like them being at the zoo and being sad, you know. And, and it's a really, <laughs> it really takes its time before the punching. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's like one fight near the beginning. It's like a really local gym, and he just beats some local guy, and then he walks around telling everyone like, "Hey, I won my fight today." And yeah. then like, then there's like the Apollo fight, pretty much. I uh, really yeah. hope that's how they pitched that movie. <laughs> he gets in one small fight and he walks around telling everyone, hey, I won my fight. And then we have a big fight. And that's our movie. We zoom in on Rocky. He's at the zoo. He's sad. <laughs> it's also funny because Polly becomes like a a joke character in like the later movies. Oh, and he's yeah. like an, a huge asshole in the first movie. And it's like very serious. And then it's like... In the you know fourth movie, he's total comic relief, and he like is in love with a robot butler and stuff. It's like right. it's so <laughs> off the rails. And really, the first one's almost never on TV. I feel like on TV you see like four most of the time, or like maybe three or two. But like one is so different from the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. Because I didn't see two through four for a long time. I had only seen one and five, and five <laughs> is really sad too and and weird. And it, yeah, it's it's an odd franchise arc. And he almost ruined it by just making Rocky a guy who takes a bribe from batters to lose a fight in the very first one. Yeah, I think that arc lets you know that 
when he was conceiving Rocky, like, I think no one had any idea this was going to be a franchise of any kind. I, I can't think. Is there another Oscar winning film that then went on to have a bunch of blockbuster sequels? I mean, I know that Godfather had two and three, but like Godfather two was another Oscar movie. Yeah. You know, it's just imagining like Forrest Gump two and three. <laughs> and so, you know, it's like, oh, that Oscar movie is a big hit. Let's just crank out sequels forever is like a very funny backwards thing that Hollywood hasn't really done that much of. Yeah, that's true. It's like once it in, enters an area of prestige, they don't touch it. Yeah. Toon light. Moon, <laughs> moonlight too. <laughs> Just like the two instead uh, of moon. Yeah. My brain first thought like Toon Squad Space Jam. Uh, now I understand. <laughs> I did I did the same thing. My brain went immediately to like Toon Town. <laughs> right. You guys and the studio have the same note for me for my pitch. Two hundred million dollar moonlight sequel. It's <laughs> like this lost a little of the spirit of the original. Well, also, and with that, with that original Rocky version, I feel like with a lot of these, part of the initial potential mistake is almost trying to make it too gritty. You know, like like maybe it's somewhat realistic that a a guy like Rocky would be approached by betters and, and convinced to throw it. And Candace, he'd also picked out Pretty Woman, nineteen ninety, as a movie where just the way they were going to go initially is like gritty in such a bad way. So. I know, well, it's kind of fascinating <laughs> to me reading the article about it. It was never meant to be a rom-com. Yeah. It, yeah. And so it, it originally ended where he shows up, he gives her an envelope full of cash instead of a rose and was very clear of like, yeah, I just paid you for your time. I am a sleaze. You are a prostitute. Right. This is our dynamic. And then she takes the cash. She's hurt. And she bangs on his window, crying, throws the cash. It all goes into the gutter. And she breaks down screaming and crying, I hate you and your money. And then he drives away. And then she's stuck with people, spectators watching, picking up the cash out of the gutter. And that's how it was supposed to end, which is very different than like the movie right. I grew up with all my friends quoting and what have you. And it just, it kind of cracks me up. But in a way, I'm almost like, this is actually a case where I'm like, would that movie have been worse? It would have been different. I don't know if it would have been worse. It just wouldn't have been the movie we know. Yeah. Um, well, it, it feels like extra believable and realistic in a world where Pretty Woman has never been made. Yeah. Just no. Obviously, prostitution is sad, and uh, and this is the only thing we have. Not to demonize sex workers or something. No, no, but, no, uh, totally. But it's the understanding of it. That's, is that'd like, be the world of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and I, it, in the original script too, she also had like a serious drug problem. I think it's interesting that they they made it a rom-com. They cast Richard Gere. So he's not like, he doesn't need to hire a prostitute. <laughs> I think he can he can get what he needs fine. And then they went this very lighthearted route. And it's kind of just interesting. That one, it wasn't even necessarily, like I said, I don't even know that the original one was going to be a disaster per se. It just would have been different. It would have been heartbreaking. But It would be one of those super sad indie movies, right? Yes, like, it like wouldn't be an where, icon. Like the one where Michael Fassbender is a sex addict or something. Yes. Like one of those uh, very dark movies that, that you, you really, really got it through. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's funny that it's Disney that intervened and went, we think <laughs> we read this really tragic script that's yeah. so heartbreaking. We think this should be a rom-com. <laughs> this is hilarious. <laughs> and then it was. <laughs> so, yeah. And then Julia Roberts became what we all know and love. The, so. the original yeah. script had the iconic line, I'm just a sleaze standing in front of a prostitute. <laughs> Asking her to perform prostitution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's Asking about her to perform it. sex to in exchange for money. She's like, I know how it works. And she's <laughs> right. like, oh, well, good. And let's do it. And also it feels like that's, 
part of the badness of the original pitch too. Like not just that it's dark, but also that it's just a, a very bare description of a thing that happens sometimes. Like it's not a yeah. story, you know, like, well, a man hires a prostitute and then, and then throws money at her. And that's, that's, he pays uh, her. She's that, very sad. That's yeah. our, that's our pitch. That's it. What do you think? It's like, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know that that's all. Like, I, I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess you'd have to have like some kind of tension where it's like, they both were in love with the other one, but neither expressed it. And then it ends sadly or something like that. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Like pure tragedy. But, like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, like, this was serious, but I have to pretend you're a prostitute. And she's like, I can't cross this boundary or, you know, cause, cause otherwise, yeah, it's just someone hiring a prostitute. Why is that <laughs> ending a problem for either of them? Right. Yeah. And why is it a story? You know, yeah. it's just a thing. <laughs> Again, it makes me laugh. The idea that came in with that pitch, which doesn't even sound like a story. And then Disney went, you know what? There's a rom-com in here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> when I think prostitutes, I think lighthearted love. <laughs> and also that that's amazing with pretty woman that i i feel like there there are various stories of like somebody is about to do a pitch and they just redo it for the people they're pitching it to like mm-hmm. i think the the story with the simpsons pitch was that matt Groening realized he didn't want to give away the rights to the thing he has so he just kind of made up a family in the lobby and then switched it you know <laughs> i'm i'm amazed they went to disney with this at all and didn't like sit in the lobby and be like, "Oh God, it's Disney." Uh, obviously, a happy thing instead, you know. Yeah, like, we shouldn't shouldn't go this route. No, yeah. I mean it was already a written <laughs> script and everything, and it was the Disney intervened and said, "You know what? We were going to make this, but we think it should be a rom com. We're going to make some changes." Became you know just some tweaks, <laughs> right? <but> yeah, <laughs> some minor adjustments. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. The part at the end where she's crying and picking up cash, and then it As smash cuts to Papa's got a brand new bag. Like we need to, <laughs> we, we need to clean this up. <laughs> yeah. It makes me wonder though, because I I've only read the last page of that script. What was the whole story? That led to that. Because obviously we're missing context of she's hurt because she cares about this person and what have you. But I'm like, wait a minute, because the pretty woman we know is a zany thing where they go shopping and she listens to a Walkman in the tub right. and stuff. And I'm like, what was, <laughs> what was their story? These yeah. sad people. <laughs> well, in the actual movie, he thinks she has cocaine in the bathroom and it turns out to be dental floss and ha ha ha. Yeah. And in the original one, it was just she has cocaine. And yes. really into it. <laughs> and so I, I'd imagine it's just a lot of like very cold descriptions of sad things in the world. Like it's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds more like it was just a sad biopic of a sex worker's life. Yeah, and, yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. and a, a sleazy <laughs> businessman who hired her for said service. It is interesting, too, like how I feel like that thought process reveals that they think that a drug problem is like irredeemable for a character. Right, they're right. Like, we have to get rid of that if this is going to be a likable heart of gold type character. And it's like weird what lines you can't like cross for... You know, like we we can make her prostitute, but she's like really nice. Like we can't make her drug addict because then it's like we can't bring her back from that or something like that. Right. <laughs> Damaged a, beyond repair. Yeah, in a way that like you know, uh, Forrest Gump in the book, he like swears all the time. He like swears nonstop and like is really into having sex with Jenny and stuff like that. And in the movie, they make <laughs> it. He never says a bad word, and they like, and then like the sex is kind of like just happens. He doesn't like talk about yeah. how awesome it is or whatever like because there's like lines you don't want to cross if you want your heart of gold character to remain 
oh yeah lion-like or whatever it's <laughs> you know, very, it's like, it's it's very conservative isn't it yeah it's, it's like oh drugs are a moral failing they're not a thing that some people end up in and and some people get out of yeah like, yeah. yeah we already made her a prostitute <laughs> we can't give her two problems yeah it's like it's such a like odd thought process this on their part so taboo yeah yeah, yeah. When also, and we, we've also got TV shows here, and I feel like we can look at some of these where they were just going to dive into, again, a, a story that's just a very bare, dark thing that I, I don't know how it's a story. And Dan, you'd picked out an episode of Cheers that almost was on television and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, they almost made an episode of Cheers where Sam gets AIDS. Yeah. The disease, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a that's, no, not that's like tough. assistance. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I, I've always ran this bar myself. <laughs> like, this is pretty low stakes. Also, there's clearly two other people like right. running the bar with them. <laughs> it's just, yeah, um, you know, Cheers, especially in the early seasons, did some serious episodes. You know, Sam was like a was an alcoholic who you know ruined his baseball career and there's a there's an episode actually written by Sam Simon in the first season uh speaking of the Simpsons where he like re, he like almost relapses and it's like really dark um but it's still like a sitcom right and then as the series went on it just got lighter and lighter and then it was like then someone pitched a freaking AIDS episode like yeah at a time where like the whole country was probably talking about it in such a tone deaf way, even for the era. Like I couldn't even imagine what a very special episode of cheers where Sam gets AIDS at the time when no one knew how to talk about it or how to deal with it or anything. And it was in the thick yeah. of, and it was in the thick of it happening. Cause it was that, late 1980s yeah. when they wanted to do this and yeah. uh, a season six. Yeah. yeah. Even like, you know, the movie Philadelphia or things that try to actually tackle it have like aged in some pretty cringy ways so, like, I couldn't even imagine yeah. a 30-minute sitcom with a whole bunch of laughs. And then, like, the very <laughs> special moment at the end is, like, Sam has a permanent death sentence in, like, this era of terror and confusion for the country. Right. Because like, that's even, how they would have written it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. how, like, because it wouldn't have been no laugh. Like, every very special episode has to be, like, mostly still the sitcom. Yeah. Then the third act, there can be this, like, sad turn. And then usually they bring it back. Like, usually it's, like... You know, even the alcoholism episode, he, at the very end, he like, you know, he's back on the wagon and it's like, he like just resists the beer and there's like an audience applause and then it's like probably some jokes and then it's like credits. We're, we did it. And yeah, like, they were, they were brilliant at it. They always yeah. found a way to, yeah. And imagining them doing that with an incurable disease that no one knew anything about at the time and that was like affecting thousands of people's lives is like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just so ill-conceived from the get-go. And if that existed now, it would be a YouTube thing that people are like, have you ever seen this? And like <laughs> would show each other the, the terrible cheers AIDS episode. I was literally just thinking about that funnier diet as a series that's basically that where they take like the very special episodes and do a uh -huh. breakdown of why they're terrible. Yeah. It'd oh, be wow. that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They just they yeah. just they just missed it. Like they they made it to like previews, right? Yeah, they uh so the plot would have been Sam finds out an ex-girlfriend is HIV positive and so then just hanging over the whole episode is does Sam have it too and they got all the way to rehearsing the finished script for the entire episode before they scrapped it. And series co-creator Les Charles said, quote, the specter of AIDS was taking all the humor out of it. <laughs> End quote. And like, 
to a lot of people at that time, AIDS was a new concept to them. So I can understand how they they started down this road. I can't believe they got almost all the way yeah. to shooting it. It's amazing. <laughs> I like the I like imagining Les Charles being like the studio audience was mortified. I think I think the warm up comedian kind of blew, blew it. <laughs> mm, cold crowd tonight. These, to- these tourists or what? You know? Yeah. <laughs> these like, tourists. Yeah. The other thing that kind of kills me about that too is that Sam doesn't even have AIDS in the episode. It's just the looming, like he might. Right. And right. it's this idea to me of like we're still gonna <laughs> we're still gonna go soft at the end, and because it's a comedy and we have to. But it's like, why even tackle that subject? Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, don't, don't touch that one. Just leave it. <laughs> well, it'd be weird if they if the, if it ended with Sam, you know, being like, "Oh, I don't," and then there's like jokes and laughter and tension yeah. release, and then he goes back to living his life the exact same way in the next episode, where he sleeps with a thousand women. It's fine. I bought a new brand of condom. It works really well. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> it is interesting that just the arc of of TV shows like that that are. You know, start a little serious and then they get wackier and wackier, but then they try to get back on the rails with like serious episodes like way yeah. too late. I mean, Home Improvement was the ultimate <laughs> that. I don't know if you remember that because it was, yeah, it was like they came back for one last season at the end and all the cast was like, we don't want to just make a sitcom. And every episode was like heavy, you know, <laughs> right. a Brad gets caught with pot and like you know, Marcus Goth and stuff. It was just like one after the other. Those are real plots. And it's the just best like, problems. Yeah. Uh, goth. And, uh, and it's just, <laughs> we have problems in our family. Our kid wears a lot of dark. Color. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid your son is goth. <laughs> Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Like he shows up an x-ray. It's just real dark. Like it's all, <laughs> as you can see, the, yeah. as you can, it's metastasized yeah. to the whole body. Uh, yeah, he's just like point, pointing it like there. You can kind of see a, like an AFI like t shirt like in, in his like b- rib cage. Like <laughs> just, um, but, but yeah, it's like funny to imagine Cheers, which was so wacky after the first couple seasons, being like, no, 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 we got to get back to our roots. What made us good? Like a weird AIDS episode, or HIV. You know. We have to get back to our roots. You know how Cheers started so dark about yeah. AIDS? <laughs> <laughs> Snappy dialogue. Topical disease humor. Yeah. It makes me wonder, though, with shows today, because I'm immediately thinking of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, because they do a very good job of taking on serious subject matter, but it's still a zany sitcom. Oh, yeah. And mm. so they've done, like, a Black Lives Matters episode. There's, like, a Me Too episode and stuff. But I wonder if that's going to be one of those things where, like, right now it feels like, wow, you really did this well and you really took it on. If it's something we'll look back at years later and go, they did what? Why didn't they just stick to comedy? That's, yeah. A, good, oh, yeah. that's a really good yeah. point. That's really I, interesting. I wonder. Yeah. yeah. I say that having friends that write on that show. Like, I'm not uh, bashing on it in any way. Oh, I love yeah. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. But, yeah. Well, even because even I think the, the first episode of it, there's like a whole conflict about Holt the Chief had been like held back because of his sexuality for like his whole career. Yeah. And I was like, oh, we're at a, a dark point for this thing where it was like just Andy Samberg doing wacky jokes exactly. previously. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And they do. There was a Black Lives Matters episode where it was they did it so clever because it almost verged into the territory of being a very special episode, but it didn't. And yeah, and I mean, I think they handle that subject matter. They balance it very well. But it, it makes me wonder if it's because in this era, it feels like they're balancing it well, or if it's something we'll look back at years later and be like, oh, they made that choice. Especially because, like, you know, if Cheers had done that, it probably would have been acclaimed at the time. Yeah. Just for taking on the subject. But now you'd be like, wow, they really probably handled it in such a weird way. 
I, I do wonder what stuff from now is going to have that same effect. effect. There's probably another good show to get into. Cheers and Seinfeld were pulling them from five scrapped episodes that almost ruined famous TV shows by J.M. McNabb. Seinfeld, one of the biggest comedies of all time, along with Cheers. They almost, in their second season, did an episode called The Bet, where it would have been the, the titular bet is Elaine buying a handgun because Jerry better she couldn't do it. But then she ends up basically threatening to shoot herself, and they try to do it as a joke, and they had a cast and sets, and they did a table read, and then the the basically the actors revolted and refused to do it uh, because it was an insane idea for an episode. My initial thought when I read that, even like subject matter aside, is imagining being that writer, and <laughs> yeah. what you wrote was... <laughs> was so over the line that the cast literally was like, no, you did a bad thing. I'm not doing this. That'd be so mortifying. Yeah, the the extra critical pain point was uh, there's a part where Elaine is, for some reason, it's just Elaine and Jerry in Jerry's apartment, and she's yelling at him, waving the gun, and then she... It says, where do you want it, Jerry? The Kennedy and points it at her own head and then says the McKinley and points it at her own gut. And then apparently in the table read, the next thing anyone said was Julia Louis-Dreyfus dropping character and saying, I'm not doing this. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like (laughs) just mid read, like, no, I quit. This is not going to (laughs) happen. No, you cannot make me do this. (laughs) Yeah, that's so weird. It's also like crazy out of character for Elaine. What the hell is she doing in that episode? <laughs> like, Yeah, it, it doesn't, it's it's a hard episode to describe because it doesn't make any sense yeah. with what we know of the show we've all seen a hundred times. Yeah. 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 That sounds like Elaine doing like sophomore year of college edgy sketch shit <laughs> that's like not, they're like, oh, I made fun of Kennedy being assassinated. And it's like, no, that wasn't really a joke or have any point. That was just like an offensive thing. Right. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. You said something upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. The other like weird thing with this episode, and we kind of have to guess at it, but Seinfeld does that classic thing it does of there'll be two things going on and they interlock beautifully at the end, which a lot of shows do, but Seinfeld Mm -hmm. in particular. And apparently the other thing in the episode would have been Kramer claims he had sex with a flight attendant George doesn't believe him, and that pays off in George dragging everybody to the airport to, like, confront this flight attendant and find out if it's true. But that almost definitely means the gun would come to the airport, too. And I, I don't know what happens there. Like, that that can only get worse. Yeah, Elaine gets put on the terror list. Yeah. Whatever we had in the 90s. I don't know if we had anything. I was going to say, this is back when security was a lot more lax, yeah. but you still couldn't bring a gun to the airport. Yeah. That's really funny. I didn't even consider that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's one of those things as the writer, too, where you just end up writing yourself into a corner. Right. It's like, well, now they're all at the airport with a gun, and I don't know what to do. (laughs) She accidentally shoots a child in the back, and then credits. (laughs) Like, um, and then the outro of him doing stand-up about it. like... We were talking about Disney a little bit before, uh, and we've got a whole range of classic Disney movies. And uh, uh, Candace, you've got a couple of them that jumped out as favorites. Yeah. First of all, I just want to note in like before we even talk about the darker version of Peter Pan that almost became. Yeah. I just want to talk about Peter Pan as is that we know. My right. uh, a 1953 of, film. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of uh, I have a friend and I that I'm going to get this made into a T-shirt. I've already made plans for it. But our oh. favorite line that we quote back and forth is, "We were only trying to drown her." 
where the, they're at Never Neverland. Wendy, I forget the circumstances, but Wendy is left with the mermaids and they're trying to kill her. And he comes up and catches them. They just very cavalier. We were only trying to drown her. That's crazy. I didn't remember that at all. Oh, yeah. That's insane. No, it's my it's my favorite line from the movie. And it's funny. Anytime I'm in a situation where women are being catty towards each other, I'm always like, we were only trying to drown her. Um <laughs> So, you know, we'll set the stage with that of, like, that is what we ended up with. Right, right. Um, So, to begin, (laughs) originally, (laughs) it was supposed to be that Wendy didn't get taken to Never Never Land willingly. She was kidnapped. And the the whole setup of how Peter was going to take her was very violent. He like he and Tinkerbell plot together. All the boys on Never Neverland are like, we want a mother to take care of us forever, which is like every man in my life. Um, <laughs> they all fly also. They yes. All, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, so he makes this plan to go kidnap Wendy, and it's very violent. Tinkerbell's pixie dust, which we now know is a thing that makes us fly, was originally meant to be basically like a date rape drug. It was right. just to seduce, or, uh, <laughs> subdue her. Oh, and then um, he rips off off uh, part of the curtains as a rope and ties her up and like are, are we going to link the article yeah and the uh, the article is six creepy details that were almost in classic disney movies by jam McNabb, and it uh, it contains some storyboards yes folks look yeah. them up if you look at the storyboards like he looks sadistic he's standing over her with the rope in his hand and it's like this violent thing and the way she's originally sketched she looks a lot younger than what she even ended up being oh, so boy. it's just this whole <laughs> very twisted thing but it's just interesting to me that Disney has evolved into something that we look at as so lighthearted. But even um, even what Peter Pan ended up becoming, or Walt did step in and go, this is too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and why don't we make it that she wants to go and it's an adventure. But even at that, it's still a dark movie. I can't believe they the the movie we got was a lot of compromise in terms of tonal darkness. <laughs> yeah. Like, fine, we'll peel it back to just attempted drownings. Fine, fine, yes. fine. Yeah. It's a good message to send to to children that like an amazing adventure always begins with you being kidnapped by a stranger against <laughs> your will, right? Like, yes. yeah. Oh, and what's funny? I was kind of talking to my roommate about it this morning, and he goes, "You know, you could make an argument that those kids were still kidnapped." Really? And I was like, yeah, I guess it's true. Yeah. They all just have Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, probably, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's another one where if you watch it now, uh, like a lot of Disney and a lot of things in general, like we were talking about with the sitcoms, yeah. uh, it, it doesn't age well. It's definitely a very racist movie yeah. as well. Yeah. They, they don't depict Native Americans the best. Yeah. And there's a, a few <laughs> other things. But it's, yeah, it was a, it was a dark movie. It could have been really, really dark. Instead, it was just really dark. I almost want to tie it to Pretty Woman because, like, from the 50s to the 90s, maybe Disney's move is, like, receive the darkest source material possible, lighten it up, make the movie. You know? Like, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's, that's their magic. Is maybe. It? Peter Pan is the 14th Disney animated feature, so they'd made a bunch before that. And they were mostly Grimm's fairy tales, which are so dark. Mm-hmm. And then they were probably just like, ah, they're singing, you know? Now it's good. <laughs> now it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's that's exactly the Grimm stuff is really dark. And I I love when Disney gets it just right. In The Little Mermaid, the original Grimm story, oh. she loses her voice because her tongue gets cut out of her mouth. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, I didn't the, know that. the sea witch cuts her tongue out. Oh, man. And that's <laughs> what happens. But if you watch, this is a point where I think Disney does walk that line of the dark and the light perfect. If you watch The Little Mermaid from 1989, there's a part where Ursula is throwing a bunch of stuff in her cauldron. And if you pay attention, it's subtle. She throws in a tongue. 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Ooh. And I love that. Like, that's the perfect line of like, oh, the darkness is still there, but we it doesn't make me sad inside. <laughs> but she yeah. cut out someone else's tongue off screen. <laughs> Threw it in there. I just assume it's what, is it tripe? The cow tongue? Oh, oh yeah. Cow stomach. A non-human tongue is yeah. whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She went to some like deli or something, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Right. Uh, lengua is the uh, the Mexican food, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She in the story, I think she she doesn't win over the prince and also doesn't have her voice and then just dies and cries herself to death and turns into sea foam. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. yeah into Can't believe they wrote Pretty Woman that way originally. That's <laughs> real fantastic. Turns into sea foam on the streets of uh, uh, <laughs> you know, Sunset. Yeah. <laughs> It's me, your pal Al, in a hotel room in Chicago. We are going to do these live shows uh, very, very soon. But in the meantime, support for today's show comes from Green Chef, a food I don't get to have because I'm traveling right now. But you can get yourself a box right now, and I'm very jealous of you. You have so many options. Paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, Mediterranean. There's more. Heart smart, lean and clean, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you'll love to cook. Enjoy clean ingredients you can trust seasonally sourced for peak freshness, as well as recipes that are quick and easy with step-by-step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you along. There's even pre-made measured sauces, dressings, and spices, so you can get more flavor in less time. Again, I am traveling. I'm thrilled about these shows we're doing, but in the build-up to them, I have to look at these wonderful photos of Green Chef's food. It looks very good. I would have a lot of fun making it, probably. I would be like, wee skillets and stovetops and other things I don't have in a hotel room in Chicago. But you have those things in probably wherever you live, and you can use them with Green Chef to have a delicious time. So for $50 off your first box of Green Chef that I am extremely jealous of, go to greenchef.us slash cracked. To be clear, that's a .us domain name because they're in the future and they're really cool. That's greenchef.us slash cracked for $50 off your first box of Green Chef. And also we've got uh, Alice in Wonderland here, which is such a, I'm like kind of impressed with how uh, outside the box they wanted to go with it, but it's still probably a huge mistake that they didn't do. I think it would have been a huge failure, especially at that time. Um, There's a few things about this that I find particularly amusing. So it's originally going to be Alice in Wonderland, or no, Alice, what is it? Alice in the Adventures of like the Amazing Mr. Carol. Yeah, it's Alice and the Mysterious Mr. Carol. That's it. And basically it would bounce between her going to Wonderland, which would all be animated as we know it. And then coming back to reality where there would be a live action, basically pedophile that (laughs) follows her around. And then it's like a whole thing between, basically it would have been Pan's Labyrinth um, (laughs) from a long time ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) What was interesting was that Disney read the script, realized that Mr. Carroll was creepy, wouldn't admit it. And his plan to, like, get around that was he wanted to cast Cary Grant of, like, you know, he's a man's man. and You know, yeah. nothing weird going on there. And then to drive the point home, they gave him, like, a totally unnecessary girlfriend that was, like, super attractive. And my favorite part of this whole article, and I, and I don't want to upset anybody, but Disney said, this was a direct quote, I don't want anyone to think he's a queer 
And that's why they wanted to cast Cary Grant, which is so funny because there's definitely a running theory that Cary Grant was probably gay. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, sort sort of like Rock Hudson, we know. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's never been proven, but it's definitely uh, something we talked about a lot in film history and but uh, yeah. so it just it makes me laugh of the whole idea of like, no, we're going to cast Cary Grant to, def- you know, people won't assume this, which I also love the idea that just because someone's gay, that doesn't make them a pedophile either. Yeah, there's so many. There's uh, a lot of problems. Errors. There's a lot of yeah. things uh, wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's also the problem just if you're doing 10 things to make your character seem less pedophile just maybe lose the character at some point. Yeah. yeah. Which is ultimately what they did. But yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, that, those words came out of somebody's mouth in some meeting and then we were saved. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, that would have been it. Yeah. Just the fact that those were words that had to be said. Yeah. It's like, how did we get here? <laughs> Can we mention that his girlfriend is 35 like 10 times? And Keep adding these notes. I <laughs> just the lose it. But yeah. in one way as a song because it's Disney. So yeah. she's 35, she's 35. (laughs) An animal sings it. I don't know. An animal sings it. I'm not Disney. You write it. Uh, (laughs) Alex soft pitching Disney. Then uh, I don't know. An animal comes into some shit. You guys guys know. You know. And Candace, you mentioned that like the the live action version of Lewis Carroll would have like a pedophile kind of element. And it's because there's rumors and and, uh, things about his life that that either by Victorian standards or our standards are gross. And, and one of them was that he, Lewis Carroll, real name Charles Dodgson, took thousands of pictures in life. More than half of them were of kids and 30 of them were of nude or semi-nude kids, which was also apparently a Victorian style because the past is, you know, weird. It, it's, it's a thing where uh, he also had like a very close relationship with a bunch of kids, one of them named Alice Liddell. And then suddenly in June of 1863, that relationship was broken off. We'll link us Smithsonian article with all the things about it. Uh, nobody knows for sure what his deal was, but to dramatize it in just like a, a chill way and then also do a bunch of weird things to try to make him seem like straighter and more masculine. And and if people don't know Cary Grant, he was a very suave dude. That's such a weird way to make the movie we have now where it's just a crazy cartoon. I know, it's yeah. just a trippy, fun thing, but yeah. yeah. Hello, Alice. I'm not a pedophile. Like, <laughs> that's too much on that line. Stop accusing me of pedophilia. I didn't yeah. say anything. <laughs> no one, you keep coming up with no one said anything, sir. <laughs> yeah, that, that they clearly had that awareness of all of those things. And, yeah, you know, it's like really tips their hand. They're like, well, we got to do it, but we have to change it this way, this way, this way. And it's like, all right, you're aware of the dynamic that you are creating in your movie <laughs> and then you're just trying to save it so i don't know yeah. and even and it even kind of pushed innovation it seems like like doing a live action animated thing I, I think they did it with the original mary poppins maybe a bit but but otherwise that would be pretty revolutionary for the 50s and they were like we'll go that far if that's what it takes you know which is weird <laughs> it's uh who framed roger rabbit meets uh pedophilia <laughs> they're like I don't know if <laughs> I don't know if this is the uh, don't enjoy this elevator pitch. I'm getting off this elevator. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry, we got the actor from North by Northwest, so it's okay. It's totally fine. Nobody'll notice. Yeah. There's more Disney movies here too. Bambi, 1942. 
in the real movie, very, very sad, Bambi finds uh, his mom's body. But in the original draft, he was also going to find the body of the human hunter who started the fire that burned the forest down yeah! and all the problems. Hell yeah. <laughs> John Wick revenge on mankind. Asshole. Yeah. And also then uh, The Lion King, 1994. There's that fun thing with The Lion King where it's kind of Hamlet, you know, and it's all mm-hmm. just borrowing story beats from Shakespeare's Hamlet. And I don't know about you guys, but when I see Hamlet, I'm like, ah, Hamlet's kind of a, a wiener. He's kind of a limp dude. You know, I'm not uh, kind of a lame guy. And so the original <laughs> Lion re- King drafts. Your review of Hamlet? Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> right. That's my only thoughts on it. <laughs> Alex watches a four-hour play that's, and uh, walks out. Gonna, and it's like, what a wiener. Yeah, why didn't he, uh, you know, why wasn't he cooler? <laughs> It's on the marquee. It's just like a real wiener, Alex Schmidt. Like, we didn't get a lot of good quotes. So we had to put that one on the marquee. But uh, so the original Lion King script, Scar was a baboon, and he basically would have manipulated Simba into being a lame, weak, slovenly character. Uh, they described it as, quote, a lazy, slovenly, horrible character was the plan for Simba. Uh, because of Scar, basically just like Lucille Bluth raising Buster Bluth, kind of making him a, a weak, lame figure. And that would have been the whole movie. Would have been crazy. Does he, does he find his inner strength at the end or no? It seems like he does at the very end. But like there's a lot of him just being like, Neh, which is kind of in the movie. Like he, he reaches that point with Timon and Pumbaa. But, yeah. uh, but then he gets out of it and, and saves the day, you know? Yes. Also, like, the justification for why he did that makes more sense. And it's just a small part of the movie, not the whole movie. Right. <laughs> I also feel like that'd be the most boring movie to watch. Yeah, it'd be like watching Hamlet. <laughs> what a wiener. Wiener. <laughs> Simba goes to this, like, blue-blooded private school for a while. You're like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> like... And his parents have to get him out of, like, you know, some firecracker incident that he did. It's just like, this is so boring. I hate this character. <laughs> Why? <laughs> when, uh, uh, we've got uh, other, other non-Disney movies here, too. E.T., The Extraterrestrial, 1982. <laughs> Candace, you picked that out in particular because it could have been uh, scary. This is fascinating to me because E.T. has been one of my favorite movies since I was a small, small child. Oh. And I did not know about this. And uh, it really blew my mind to find out. So Close Encounters came out, was a huge hit. Uh, Spielberg was still very young. And so the studio started pushing for a sequel. And after what had happened with Jaws, he didn't want to just hand it over to them to have a sequel, but also didn't want a sequel to be made. (laughs) So he pitched a movie, I think it's like Night Skies. Yeah, Night Skies. Night Skies, yes. Where basically it was about aliens that butchered cattle, like mutilated cattle, and that was the theme of the movie. And they made it far enough where, and it's in the article that I'm assuming will be linked, Yeah, that they designed the actual aliens. Like, they were made, like, they had already designed them. It was, it made it that far along. But it wasn't working. And Melissa Matheson looked at the script and basically said, you know, there was, there was a subplot of a little boy befriending one of these evil aliens. And they becoming friends. And she goes, there's a story there. And then yeah. wrote E.T. off of that. And it just blows my mind to think that this charming little boy and his dog story that I've loved my whole life originally came from this monstrous thing about aliens that mutilate cattle. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like alien scientists terrorizing a farm family. And yes. in the in the article, the designs of them are really spidery and horrible looking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the article points out the only thing that stayed is the fact they were kind of squatty. 
Yeah. And that was it. <laughs> it became this charming, literally a boy and his dog movie. Um, it was the biggest movie of all time. Like literally the yes. highest right. grossing film. <laughs> yes. so, again, good change. Yeah. Totally a good change. Yeah. Maybe the cattle movie would have been huge. Who That's why, I mean, it would have been a, di- it's another case of like, that would have been a different movie. Yeah. I don't know if it necessarily would have been a bad movie. It just wouldn't have been E.T. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, butterfly effect. We never would have had Drew Barrymore because I'm assuming it probably, a little sister character probably wouldn't have played the same way. Pepsi would not have existed as we know it. We would not enjoy Reese's Pieces. No. They just, we wouldn't have them. (laughs) They'd be gone out of business. Just struggling to get our mouths around whole Reese's like idiots. (laughs) Terrible. uh, (laughs) Or enjoying (laughs) M&M's. Also bad in this counterfactual. Uh, Jeez. A farmer watching his like cattle getting, getting horribly butchered. And he's just like, oh man. And then reaches and eats some Reese's Pieces. (laughs) He's like, oh, well, these are good. (laughs) Let's get into Dr. No. Let's do it. The first James Bond movie, 1962, uh, based on the Ian Fleming book. And uh, they wanted to go a whole crazy uh, direction with it. Oh, man. I, I love this. I wasn't sure we were going to talk about it because Dr. No is cared about by seven people and two of them are me and Alex. Uh, but uh, Dr. No, the first big screen James Bond film, Sean Connery back in his prime. Yeah. Dr. No is this mysterious character on a Caribbean island. And uh, eventually is revealed and he has dinner with Bond and it's the first, you know, Bond meets the villain, sits down to dinner and it's really tense kind of thing. Yeah. Like for for people who don't know Bond movies, that first Dr. No, it really templated a lot of what the series does. Yeah, like a lot of the things you think of are there. He's mysterious. Yeah. You, know, you, you only see him in shadows for most of the movie. Yeah. Elaborate and, layer. Yeah. Know, yeah. A, elaborate layer. And then finally there's like a big ding ding reveal where he's there and he's like, <laughs> he has like a big scar, I think. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he's just weird looking, basically. He's a weird looking doctor. But in the original draft, I don't know how this would have worked. (laughs) Dr. No, the big reveal was that he was a monkey. (laughs) (laughs) Like. Right. (laughs) What the. Like a, like an animal, not a person. I don't know if that means he was like a figurehead and like, the, and they were all someone else is running the show and Dr. No was this fake thing. Or if like this monkey was the doctor who was masterminding everything or, you know, like a super intelligent monkey in like a yeah. helmet. I don't know. <laughs> he sits down and has dinner with Bond and like tries to convince him to switch to his side and. It's just a monkey, like <laughs> midway through, throws his poop at it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because the because uh, they're also they're drawing on Fleming's book, and in the book, the character of Doctor No, his name is Julius No, but it's it's sort of the old stereotype of like a Asian man who is hyper intelligent and powerful and devious, and a lot of a lot of racist things there. Mm. And also in the book, he has like metal hooks for hands, so there's a lot of crazy stuff with it, and the. Writers of the treatment of the movie were like, we don't want to do this like Asian stereotype we see all the time. It's stupid. And so then they went with a monkey <laughs> who's on a guy's shoulder. And so then they were in a fight where it's, do we do like a kind of racist villain or a villain that, as you say, makes no sense? Because like in the treatment, it would have been Bond takes out the guy that the monkey is on the shoulder of, 
But then the monkey jumps on Bond's shoulder and like looks at the camera and is like, ha ha, Dr. No lives on. But, but it's a monkey. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so those were the, the two ideas they were batting Only around. Only two options uh, really. for the movie. I'm pretty sure there have literally been Simpsons episodes that end that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Homer's idea for the dog, right? Yeah. When he like rewrites uh, Mel Gibson's Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, we want to zoom in on the dog and people will know, like people will suspect the dog. <laughs> like, that's literally that. And it, and yeah, and then the producer was like, nah, nah, we got to hit book. We got to do the thing. And they, they did tone down some of the Asian villain stereotype part. They failed to find an Asian actor to play him, but they, they made it less of a, a th- I believe they gave him regular hands or at least regular looking hands. I think he has like mutated hands, right? From yeah. radiation. Oh, that's it. Yeah, it's a radiation thing. He has like thing. flippers or something. Not like flippers, but he's, he has like messed up hands and gloves, but not like metal hands. If people don't know this movie and only know Austin Powers, like when Dr. Evil is in the funny radiation suit where he try, he kind of doesn't fit in it and his shoulders are weird, it's from Dr. No's radiation suit. There's a lot of radiation stuff in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I like the idea too, kind of like the Rocky one, but times a million. Like what, if this movie happened and was the <laughs> the campiest, dumbest thing ever, and it like right. torpedoed the existence of a Bond franchise before it even got off the ground, like yeah, yeah, or they would have had to like punt for fifteen years and then start over in you know, the mid seventies <laughs> or something like that, like oh, probably like yeah. something that stupid could have just been like whoa, what a weird lark, and then we're not going to touch that for another ten years, and Sean Connery's not the star that he became and stuff like that. Like, That's crazy. They really <laughs> could have got off on the wrongest foot imaginable, or the rightest <laughs> foot. I mean, I don't know. I, well, it's funny because a monkey of, villain, yeah. Out of all of our examples, that's the one that suddenly, like, the butterfly effect in my head just went crazy. Of like, civilization as we know it would have been entirely different. <laughs> yeah, right? if Doctor No had been a monkey. <laughs> 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 Yeah, or maybe the Bond franchise still happens, and it just—it's just a different animal reveal every single time. <laughs> right. Goldfinger is some walrus, and shit, you know. <laughs> like Bond doesn't see it coming every time. <laughs> this time, it's probably a person. <laughs> ah! I love, I love that this version of Bond became Scooby Doo with animals. I mean, with animals as the villains. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure it's a person this time. <laughs> Bond, you've been burned before. Yeah, and then just zoom in on an otter, like, yeah. da 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 <laughs> But then, and then Casino Royale, they, re- they reboot it with like a gritty, realistic animal. You know? <laughs> like, like a dolphin, yeah. I was yeah. Say, they seem nice, yeah. but they can be vindictive. Yeah. <laughs> Smart, cunning, swims well. Like, they can, like, all right, it's a dolphin, then we'll reverse engineer how this is possible. And like, they really write it well, and you're like, oh, they really made the dolphin make sense in this universe. It's, kind of, it's a lot less campy than the Brosnan ones, where they were just, I don't know, it's just... And the squirrel was the bad guy. I didn't yeah. buy it. Bond went through school with a squirrel, and then, now they're arch enemies. <laughs> this has gotten so ridiculous. Yeah. Join me, 007. Half of these acorns will be yours. I'm not for sale. Yeah. <laughs> Even the Bond movies we have are like, 
they're not that different from the books, but they do like tone down some of the, especially sexual politics of them. But there's so many ways that franchise could have gone. Like there's a previous podcast episode where we talked about an attempt in the 50s to make a movies before these. And the writers did kind of like these writers where they were like, oh, there's a horrible objectionable thing in the books. But they didn't like James Bond himself. They thought he was a sexist and a bad guy. So they tried to make it a lady spy and so it would just be a lady spy franchise, which could have gone great. But like, there there are all these near misses in all these franchises. Like, do we know too much? Like, is it is it good knowing that all of these things could have blown up? Uh, you know, on the launch pad or or I don't know. I like knowing. It's very fun. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Like Candace said, like that butterfly effect thing is in your head where you're like. I don't know if it's just we know how things played out, so we can't imagine them any other way, or if we're like, no, this would have fundamentally changed everything. Like, there would have been no Rocky franchise. There would have been no Bond franchise. Some other thing would have taken its place. With Bond, maybe it's Mission Impossible movies, like, right away. Like, the TV show's happening, they're like, boom, movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> yeah. England has no cultural <laughs> like exports at all. <laughs> the Beatles are American now. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, take that. The Beatles. <laughs> they got names like Hank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little liberating in a way just to know how close everything always is to disaster. And like again, like Hannah said, like every I feel like every production ever made it feels like that. You don't have any money. It's a total disaster. You're just like, I hope this is a thing. And then it becomes a thing. And then people like it or don't like it. But, you know, yeah. but it's a thing that where it's not evident how close it was to being completely 100% different in a bunch of different ways. Working on TV shows, there's been times where there'll be something in the script that's not bad. But something will happen in production that completely derails what you were going to do. And then you're by the seat of your pants, you come up with something that's uh, even more brilliant on the fly. Yeah. And it ends up being, you know, this great thing that wouldn't have happened if everything went the way it did in the pitch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Dr. No being a human was an onset improv. <laughs> <laughs> It was like, we were doing the scene with the monkey. It didn't feel right. And then uh, they were just like, why don't you just wing it for a couple takes? And then uh, I just threw out that he's a human now. <laughs> like, we have a lot of fun on set fixing horrible problems that make no sense. Didn't Broccoli get upset? Yeah. Wasn't that part of the thing? Is He was like, no, 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 you're going way too far away from my book. But really... <laughs> Yeah, he said, uh, and we'll link, it's a New Statesman article about it. Cubby Broccoli said, quote, I don't remember a monkey chittering around in Fleming's book, and I am a great believer in not tampering with an original winner. Yes. <laughs> but in a British right. accent and to these guys. And, uh, <laughs> and they, then they did it. Yeah. 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 Not, not all notes are bad. Yes. Yeah, some are okay. Sometimes the studio has, a, is probably correct. <laughs> R.E. <laughs> right, colon they, monkey villain. Right, they were emailing, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Folks, that's the episode for this week. My thanks to Dan Hopper and Candace Martellero for journeying into aliens and spies and Boston bars and more with me. Uh, just having having a wonderful time uh, spitballing ways these things could have gone. And uh, pitching itself is funny, you know? Uh, pitching in the sense of presenting an idea, trying to make it happen. It's just a good time. And uh, I'm very entertained that we dug into these. I hope you're entertained too, and you can entertain yourself further with our food notes, where you will find links about Dan, in particular his very, very funny Twitter account, also a new New Yorker piece he did, and then Candace, you've seen her writing on Stan Against Evil on IFC, also her sketch group Fembot PhD is amazing and all around Los Angeles and elsewhere sometimes, uh, so I highly recommend you check those things out. 
And then with our footnotes from the episode's material, we have cracked articles on everything from the Peter Pan storyboards that are very, very creepy to the E.T. that's very, very creepy to also some fun visuals because we do it every way. Something else I think you'll enjoy is a new album that dropped on Friday. It is called Budos Band 5. It is by the Budos Band on Daptone Records, and it gosh darn shreds. Listen to it. Put it in your ears. Also, our theme music is Chicago Falcon by the Budos Band off a prior album that's also very good. This episode was engineered by Devin Bryant and edited by Chris Souza. If you love this episode, that's great. If you hated it, let me know about it on social media. That's right, social media. A space where, as I said at the top, I say a lot of things about our tour we just did uh, right there. I'll talk more about it in the near future on the show, but this is like past Alex, who is just very, very excited to see all of you in the Midwest. Either way, I am confident the main takeaway of my thoughts on that tour is just endless thank yous. Just an endless, like a like a Mobius strip of thank yous, if you're, if you're way into conceptual physics, I think that is. It's some category of thing. In terms of my social media category, my Twitter account is at Alex Schmitty. My Instagram is at Alex Schmitzstagram. And I'm on the wider internet at my website, alexschmitty.com. It's got my free, fun, and occasional email newsletter of 10 things you will like that you can enjoy for free. So check that out. And in the meantime, I'm here to say we will be back next week with more Cracked Podcasts. So how about that? Talk to you then. This has been an Earwolf production, executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Chris Bannon, and Colin Anderson. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.